0: get so much done mm-hmm. you know and and I know I said that to you and we joke about it but if we live in our fears I mean our team has to get mentally tougher and be able to fight through the shit that we gotta fight through we gotta change this drastically and if we got guys that haven't done shit sitting around doing nothing you know it, I just don't know how we're gonna do it well I respect you saying that I mean I used to sit in the same Wait, chair Joe, let I'm me
1: finish whoa, whoa, let me finish I used to sit in the same chair as you guys sat in, and I used to feel the same way I just want to kill them okay until all of a sudden I sat in this chair and then they're not there and you don't get them to practice and you can't get them through and then you don't have them for three weeks and I'm not living in my fears that's real and I think we all can appreciate that
0: anything else uh, I got something. I got something over here. Uh, Mr. Jackson, you're fired. You are absolutely fired. Who are you? Who is this guy, Steve? I don't know. Uh, he's a guy that's went 0-16 and
1: 1-15 and, and, and got a team with a lot of uh, talent and it's got him nowhere
0: this year. I mean, if, if, if you Just like you said, think about this. You have won a total of one game over two seasons. You have, when you were with the Raiders, you won eight games. So all total between the the three and a half seasons that he has coached, he's won a total of 11 games. Don't you think that you would try to take as much advice from anybody and everybody you have underachieved. You suck as a head coach. Period. You suck. And we have we have said from day one, Hugh Jackson need to be fired. It's just taking the Browns this long to get there. What,
1: what's puzzling is that you're in a coaches meeting, and I don't think any one of those coaches was being threatening to Hugh Jackson. That was so what's mind-boggling. Here you are. You're having a strategy session. How can you get these players ready to play? How can you get them motivated? And the coach comes out and says says that statement back to Todd Haley. I, I thought was, uh, was
0: well. A... He, he, here's here's the best part of the statement. He's coming across like he's he his assistant coaches are a bunch of college promotion guys. You got Todd Haley and Greg Williams, both former head coaches, sitting right there at the table, and it's Todd Haley who was a head coach. And you're gonna say, oh well, if you ever get a chance to sit in this chair, uh. Mr. Jackson, we'd like to have your chair back, please.
1: Yeah, bizarre, absolutely bizarre, and and I think that's going to be the signal that Hugh Jackson will never be a head coach again uh, in the NFL. I don't think he'll get another shot.
0: No, and he doesn't deserve it. He he doesn't deserve it. He got when when this first came out, this was on Hard Knocks. I, I forget what episode, but this was on Hard Knocks. I know when I saw it, I was I was floored. We talked about it, and you know, you just started looking at some of the reports of. Uh, what was going on behind closed doors in Cleveland. You know, the, the coaches, they, they, there was like it ready to have a coup there. And then, and then get this, so what is being reported is that before Hugh Jackson was fired, there was actually rumors that he was going to either Dorsey or to management or ownership saying that he wanted to get rid of Todd Haley. That's hilarious. Surprise. (laughs) Surprise. Hey, Hugh, we're glad you're here. (laughs) Hey, Shirley, no need to make that phone call to Hugh. He's right here.
1: And honestly, I feel bad for Todd Haley. I do, too. I like Todd Haley. I I like Todd Haley. Uh, We talked about this um, before the season started. Hugh Jackson had two great assistants underneath him. To help them yep. along. And we really thought this was going to be the uh, breakout season for Cleveland. What a disaster.
0: And, you know, if you think about it, yeah, there, there's dysfunction, but of course there's going to be dysfunction with a guy like that at the helm. But they hadn't played that bad. They, they
1: haven't. really hadn't. If they had a field goal kicker, what would their record be if they had a field goal kicker? I mean, well, it, it, we had him at
0: what, five and two, five yeah. and three?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Because they couldn't get – Dan Bailey was available. You could have thrown buku bucks if you had the money underneath the cap to get a
0: field goal kicker. Absolutely. They played Pittsburgh before before all of this high drama took place. Again, I think I keep telling you it's the mistake by the lake. People don't want to believe me when I say that. I mean, it is truly the mistake by the lake. But if you think about it, the kicker that they signed, once again, now granted they're playing Pittsburgh again, but he missed a field goal and he misses an extra point. Enough with these missing extra points. Yeah, it's back a few more yards, but it's a straight kick. Just kick the ball. I really don't want to hear from Hugh Jackson that that's the reason why he got fired, because of kickers. Oh, 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 no. At the end of the day, good riddance. We're going to see what Greg Williams, I'm surprised that he was able to get the shot, but, you know, they they let Todd Haley go. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens between uh, the new offensive coordinator there and Greg Williams, who is a very uh, dictator-like type coach, I don't think he's all the way there either, right? He he put the bounty out there and, you know, it, it was suspended for a year because of the bounty, and I, I don't think he even thought that he'd ever get a shot to be a head
1: coach again. Well, it's funny that you say that because according to Greg Williams, he's had four offers, um uh, over the last several years to become a head coach, but yet nobody is coming out and really backing up that statement. So that's a, it's just an
0: interesting statement he, he threw out there. Uh, unnamed sources. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, who were, who were you talking to? Probably say the Buffalo Bills, of course. But
1: <laughs> I I wonder if Greg put a bounty on Todd Haley.
0: <laughs> right. I mean. <laughs> well, they they were getting into it pretty good, but. You know, you you had a couple of alphas in that room, yeah, yeah. right. Well, and, and you ha- you have to, don't you? Sure. And, but and Baker, I, I don't know if you've
1: uh, heard the interview today with Baker, but uh, Baker Mayfield said that they're not changing anything offensively. They're going to keep the same scheme they had throughout the year. They said they may have a few wrinkles here or there uh, with the new OC, but they're not changing that uh, that play scheme or the play
0: calling. What would be funny is if after the dust settles. Greg Williams says, "You know, I, I really didn't want to take uh, Baker Mayfield. I wanted Bradley Chubb. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> the, the defensive guy coming out. <laughs> well, the funny thing about you know, we talk about retreads,
1: NFL head coaches that are retreads, right? And Greg Williams could be possibly classified as that that retread. But really, does Greg Williams learn from his previous failures as a coach, and and does he take those failures and turn it into something special here in Cleveland?"
0: Well, is he going to have time? So so the, the big question, because one of the names that has popped up, now, now Greg Williams got this with the interim title to it, right? Uh, and he said that he was not going to take the job unless there were assurances and guarantees that he would be given a shot to be the head coach. Now, I have no idea what Jimmy Haslam's thinking over there, but there, there is a rumor report that Josh McDaniels may be linked to this head coaching job which the irony of that is just so so massive, if you think about it, right? Because he turned down the Indianapolis job, jilted them, left them at the altar, and then goes back to hang out with his boy, who is the same guy who got his first head coaching job with the Cleveland Browns.
1: Well, Remember that one? Yeah, I
0: do, I do. Um, I,
1: I do think that John Dorsey and Haslam, told Greg Williams what he needed to hear as far as being a serious candidate. Let's face it, you just fired the head coach. You had to know. I, Greg Williams had to have a meeting with ownership prior to Hugh Jackson getting fired. Greg Williams had to know that Hugh Jackson was going to get fired and did you want to be the coach. There had to be something there already. I, I, I can't believe that they were going to fire their coach and not have Greg Williams ready to go midweek. When you have a game on Sunday, if you don't you don't know do. who your head I, coach is going to be?
0: I do, and I'm just curious where where, and how Todd Haley fit in any of this, right? I don't think he we, did. I don't think he so, did. But why not? If, if they were going to fire Hugh Jackson, right, then their options for head coach would be Greg Williams or Todd Haley.
1: So John Dorsey came from Kansas City. Todd Haley was a head coach in Kansas City. Probably heard the stories of Todd Haley with, with Pioli, yep. um, who used to be the GM for the friends that, that didn't know that Scott Pioli, formerly of the Patriots, became the GM over in Kansas City, and it just ran a, it was a hard, bad culture over there on the, uh, Scott Pioli from w- what I remember here out in Kansas City, because that's where, I, where I'm located now. And so I think there's some feedback from the Hunt family. Around Todd Haley, and I bet you Dorsey probably asked, hey, what was the deal with Todd Haley out here? Why why didn't it work out? And so, hence, when the head coaching job came
0: up. Well, to that point, then, uh, you you could say that, that Dorsey or Jimmy Haslam reached out to the Bills organization and say, what happened when Greg Williams was the head coach there? Was anybody left
1: over there, though, by the time Greg was there? I mean, the owner's gone, the GM's not there.
0: Not that I would necessarily disagree, but I don't know if there's anybody there. But the, the GM is still, right. The GM's still around. It's still in circles. You you can place that phone call. You gotcha. you, you, yeah. you, you can absolutely say, you know, what, what was the deal? Because I'll tell you when I remember when he, when he first came to Buffalo, which which I did not like the hire, um, and I didn't like the hire for one reason. In his Buffalo had a top five defense at the time. I think we were number three. And when he did his press conference, uh, one of the questions that the reporters had asked him was, well, what are you going to do with the Bills' defense? You should like the fact that, you know, you're coming into a defense that's the number three defense in the NFL. And his response was, well, we were number one, so, I, I you know, I'm not worried about number three. I want to make it number one. Now, the difference between one and three, we're not talking about, the Ravens, we're not talking about the 85 Bears, right? The difference was was minuscule in the difference between one and three. And if you are going to pound your chest of going from three to one instead of really addressing the deficiencies in the culture of the team, then you really don't know what you're really getting yourself involved with. So but, but. I'm curious what what he said for Cleveland. Well, I just wonder if
1: there's a little bit more history that we don't know out here in the public between John Dorsey and Greg Williams and how their path has crossed through the years. Sure. I'm sure when John Dorsey took over and everything and he was looking to fill some vacancies, look, Hugh Jackson, I'm 1-15, 0-16, you come in as a GM, you're really thinking Hugh Jackson's going to be there long term, and I think Giving him this shot this year, he probably knew that he was probably firing this coach sometime during the season. If it He's didn't go the it, season, well, yeah. If if it doesn't go, I'm sure you have to have a, a map, right? All of a sudden, you say, okay, what if we get off to a, a five and one start? Okay, no, no, the coach is staying, right? All right, you get off to a slow start, something doesn't go right, you're two and five, or two four and one, or two five and one, and you start saying, well, I need to make a change here because I want to. Rejuvenate these players, perhaps, and say we're going to change direction. Because let's face it, a lot of those people on that roster are from those two previous seasons when they went one and
0: thirty-one. So, uh. the way I saw the Browns heading into this year, and especially with Hugh Jackson, this—I I thought that this was going to be Hugh Jackson's last year. The only way that he was out of the out of the woods and he would have any type of sustainability with the Browns was if they were able to make it to the playoffs. That's the only way I saw it. If they went eight and eight, which would be a huge improvement from the previous two years, I thought he was kind of their their um, their stepping stone, and they didn't want to ruffle anything while they were still trying to put the pieces in place. I never imagined that it would be a midseason firing, just because there's, there's too much chaos that happens midseason. Um, you know people are saying that it gives them a jump at trying to get the the head coach. Yeah, I guess it does, but you could do that with the guy on the roster, or the guy on the on the sidelines, still on the staff. I I just didn't see it happen in midseason. Well, to to your to your point when you brought up
1: about changing head coach midseason, let's face it, most coaches you're looking at are already employed in the NFL for the most part, so you can't talk to those anyway during the season. Um, so you, you're not going to call up the offensive coordinator and say, "Hey, from this team, would you want to be the head coach here?" That's it. Just That doesn't happen. So unless you're looking for a college coach where you can go actively pursue a college coach. Not that I think – I mean, there's some links to college football. Some of his former – was it Oklahoma coach? Yeah,
0: Uh, Lincoln. Lincoln,
1: yeah. So perhaps they go that direction, go college. Uh, I'm not a fan of college coaches um, in the NFL, uh,
0: but who knows. Well, it it will be interesting to see – I mean, this has really become the the modern-day NFL soap opera. Um, and is getting the highest ratings, you know, since Hard Knocks. And really, once again, Hard Knocks, just like the Madden Curse, has proven to take down a player or a coach. Now, I mean, every year, somebody who gets on Hard Knocks, you know, once the show is done and once the cameras are gone, somebody has had an issue. Uh, I, you know, I'm looking at you in, in that Jets banner behind you, and I only thing I can remember is, you know, Revis. Right? Wasn't Revis? Was he was your holdout, and then next year, you know, he's gone. He never wait, was wait, the wait, same wait, after wait, he wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Now, now you taking my boys
1: in green. Um, just so you know, we didn't have any problems with Hard Knocks. We we actually lost in the AFC Championship game. We went further than any team on the Hard knock series. We were probably the most entertaining. And <laughs> I need to go get a
0: damn snack. <laughs> All right, were if there's any chance that Anytime that I can try to throw a jab At the Jets I will absolutely throw a jab at the Jets a little, a little Art speak. Knox comes out there And Revis is the one who's Where's Revis? I don't know Let's go drive halfway across the state To find Revis That, that was all TV, that's all
1: Hollywood <laughs> Roscoe's Diner Has never been so famous in my life <laughs> I mean, that's how the show ended, It it was like, wow, this is
0: just riveting television.
1: <laughs> Not that one I want bring back the past from, from eight years ago, but I still think there was that, that conference call at the GM's table there, and that they were talking about Revis at the table, and I still think that, that whole thing was staged by HBO Hard Knocks, because uh, I don't so. think that all would have went down the way it did at that table. So
0: was was it staged with with uh, <laughs> Mark Sanchez sitting in there just daydreaming during the during no, the quarterback meeting? No, that was legit. That's why he's out of the NFL. <laughs> so so Steve, let 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 let's turn our attention as we talk about failed quarterbacks. Yeah, please do. Uh, let's get away from yeah. the Jets. I don't like this. But we're gonna say, we're gonna say in the division. So Monday night we had we had the matchup of the true David and Goliath. But I, I, You know, to, to even call uh, the Buffalo Bills David, yeah, that's that's giving them too much praise and too much credit. Uh, no comment. The, the worst team in the NFL. We had another sex toy thrown on the field, which has become the, the annual pilgrimage and the annual just defacing of Tom Brady. I love it, the by the way. Do- I, 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 I kind of do, too, now. I, I thought it was pure class myself. It, well, you know, Bills Mafia represent. <laughs> but but at the end of the day, the the worst fears of any Bills fan was realized when you saw number two come out to the field. So, Derek Jeter came out? Yeah, I wish. Oh, I wish. <laughs> name any number two in the league in any sport, and I would say I wish. No, Nathan Peterman... Uh, came in. He actually improved his his career QBR because he threw two passes which were completed, mind you. These two passes were dump offs at the end of the game, but just those two completed passes helped his QBR. But <laughs> it's something to build upon for next week. Absolutely, it's a confidence builder. So we we will see um, with Nathan P I, I'm still shocked that he's in the league. I'm still shocked he's on the roster. Uh, but we'll see what happens with Buffalo. But on the other side of the table, New England, you know, some some say it was a trap game for New England, right? You're going up against uh, the lowly Buffalo Bills who you know can't score, and all you have to do is put up seven points, and, and you win the game. And New England seemed to be shut down a little bit by that Bills defense. Um, only having one true sustained drive, they, they ended all their drives with field goals, um, but now, you know they, they have the Sunday night matchup, and they're going to be going up against the Packers. Um, I more and more you you look at the you look at the Patriots, and you start to wonder: Have they started to plateau? Have they reached it, and now they're on the descent? Oh, from your lips to God's ears on that one, my friend. Uh, we can only help.
1: Um, Really, in all fairness, though, there is no whopper outside of Kansas City that I think really can threaten the Patriots and knock them off. Again, I know the Patriots just beat the Chiefs a couple of weeks ago, but when, when you run the offense that they run, and for some reason in the NFL circles, nobody can find a scheme to stop it for the most part, I don't see them falling too far down the
0: pedestal. Just don't see it. But they're not as dominant as they as they were. I, even though they they had put up, the, you know, this season they had you know had some games where they were putting up um, big time points. He, you just look at that team. I'm not I'm not overly impressed. You have a Rob Gronkowski who's hurt, right? Playing hurt, bad back, uh, bad ankle. You have Chris Hogan, who you know, let, let, let's face it, Chris Hogan is an average wide receiver. Whose claim to fame came from when he was with the Miami Dolphins on Hard Knocks. Once again, Hard Knocks, right? But that that gave him, that gave him his coming out. And then he played with Buffalo, who had problems at the receiving core, so he kind of was their primary wide receiver, which led to his contract with the Patriots. But he, he's average. Josh Gordon, who knows what's going on there? He was supposed to he was supposed to be suspended for the the first half of that game, and he came out open and play. Um, but he he just did not seem focused. If, if the, that's the right word for them. So at 30 points
1: per game, the fourth. Well, the Saints are technically above them because they played one less game, but they're the fourth or fifth highest scoring team in the NFL. Okay, they're not putting up 35 points a game, but they're still at 30 points per
0: game. That's still pretty darn good. Yeah, you know, certainly I'm not going to take anything away from them. I mean, you know, you look at they came off of a stretch of, of 30, 35 plus points. I mean, certainly, they're putting up the the numbers. I, just when I when I watch that game and I look at that team, you know, now Sony Michelle was out with an injury. And James White, I give him I I give a lot of respect to James White. He, he he's a he's a big time running back because he's a dual threat, right? Can catch and can run. But they had Cordero Patterson lined up in the backfield taking handoffs. Um, and if that's what you're doing, you, you have to wonder really what's going on in that backfield. There's no Laguerre Blunt, There's no Rex Burkhead. So now you, you really have a scat back, and then you have a wide receiver. So, so could
1: that be just a scheme to give people to think more about Cordell Patterson? So you do this in week eight, and then by week by the time you get to the playoffs, that's a new wrinkle that people have to study and have game plan for Fair? I mean, Maybe be a decoy back there. I mean, look, this is going to sound bad coming from a Jet fan, right? We talked about this. Did they overlook the Buffalo Bills? Maybe they were just trying some new things out against Buffalo because they really felt like, okay, we're going to win this game because um, we know Buffalo and, and let's face it, nobody's, Buffalo's offense isn't scaring anybody. So unless the, the Bills' defense was going to pitch a shutout here, most likely the Patriots are going to win this game, which they did by 19. So maybe they're trying something different. They looked at a game where we can try something different. Again, I I know it sounds like I'm trying to bust on Buffalo, but that's not my intent here because I can't stand the Patriots. But I just wondered
0: if that goes into play a little bit. It it really could be. They could have looked at that game as a preseason game. And to your point, you know, Derek Anderson, you know, a veteran experienced quarterback, and and I I don't take anything away from him. You know, he – could do only do what he could do, Uh very limited as far as the weapons that, that the team has, and I think New England knew that going into the game. Well, when you don't, Shady didn't play, correct? No, Shady played. He did. Yeah, thirteen carries, thirteen yards. Oof. So and, he didn't play. So he really didn't uh, play. Eleven of those came off the first play. So, so, so Shady—they had him running Wildcat. Your offensive scheme is going to to bring back the Wildcat. What Ronnie Brown and Ricky Williams showing up? Hey, what was that? What was that? Wildcat, I thought that died. Of- <laughs> I, the the opening series, <laughs> New England really had to be thinking like, what what is going on here? Because they ran Wildcat twice, then they did a flea flicker, and the flea flicker went to Charles Clay. Isn't your flea flicker supposed to go down the field to your your speed guy?
1: Well, yeah. again, are, are, trying are to keep them off balance. You're just trying to keep them off balance
0: here, right? They're not expecting a flea flicker to go to clay, right? So A drag route. Let, let's just run a, dra- a flea flicker drag. He's wide open. Look,
1: when, when bad football teams are out there and they can't score points, they're reduced to do trick plays early on to try and get a jump start to things. Maybe Absolutely. make a big play, s- squeezing a touchdown because you catch them off guard. Um, and I I, I don't think that's going to happen
0: this week though. Uh, you got Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. I, I do not foresee any type of trick plays coming out of there. What could happen is, well, no, he got traded. I was going to say you could have a guy sitting in the end zone to return a punt, and then all of a sudden fumble. Oh, poor Ty. <laughs> Gotta listen
1: to the coaches, Ty. Gotta listen to the coaches. If not, I feel bad for
0: him. Yeah, I bad. really do if we were talking about this off this off the off air off the podcast he really wanted to make a play now they they say that word came from either Mike McCarthy or from the special teams coach to just take a knee but you know as an athlete that you have it ingrained in you especially you know these guys have, have always been the best of the best growing up right and you have it ingrained in you that you want to make a play. Coach says, Steve, I want you to take a knee. I'll take a you knee. See, yeah, but you see that lane open on that left side, and you're like, oh, I can make it. I can do it. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. <laughs> and there you go. And there goes the
1: football. And there goes your Packer career.
0: And you're like, oh, no. Oh, <laughs> no.
1: I, now, I wonder if that was the slowest uh, tackle in his life that he went through when he realized he fumbled the football. It's like one of those, oh, no, right? You wonder if it's something like that. Surely. Because <laughs> you know what's going through his head. As soon as he got up, you know, he probably – I didn't see the play. He probably faked an injury. Oh, man. He tore my hamstring <laughs> or something, right?
0: Because he knows he didn't want to go to the sideline at that point. Actually, a little side note when you said that I I'll, I'll never forget it. I'll keep this short but I'll never forget so growing up in buffalo when I was playing little league football it was freezing cold one day snow was coming down and it is I mean it's like coming down in ice and I'm freezing and I want to get out of there so I had made a tackle earlier and I had a stinger and so I come out of the game, and so I went back in. I was like, you know what, I'm done with this. Plus, the Bills were playing. We happened to be playing on a Sunday, and the Bills were playing. I'm like, how do I get out of this? So a guy came through. I went up, made the tackle. Hey, I just laid there. And just laid there. Well, we got to get the ambulance. So now my parents are running out onto the field. Are you okay? You know, so they go to the go to the hospital, sitting in the hospital. Told my dad, I was like, yeah, I was just faking no, you know, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> did you get a bull yeah, weapon did, at home? Did that the come go out? That not over too well. No, yeah. that, that did not go over too well. And to make matters worse, I don't even remember, I don't even think that I got to, to see the rest of the Bills game. It just, it, it was a debacle. So I really hope for Ty's sake that he didn't pull one of my moves there and tried to fake it. And try, just just suck it up. But, hey, he's in Baltimore. And that, that's not a bad trade. He could have gone to Buffalo. <laughs> yeah,
1: could have. I don't wish that on my. A- I don't wish that on my worst enemy right about now. Um,
0: so they they did him a favor. Well, and, and actually, I wonder if they reached out to Brandon Bean in Buffalo. Because th- think about it: if, if Buffalo needs a wide receiver, right? They need speed. So they this guy checks both boxes. They need a punt returner. They need a kick returner check four boxes, right? They, but you they know bu- Yeah, but there's a
1: problem with that. They asked, the Buffalo Bills asked, can Ty follow directions? <laughs> right? Can he follow the process? <laughs> and, and, that, and that's why the trade didn't go through, because they asked a question, and it's, I'm sorry, uh, no, he cannot. He but fumbled the th- football on the kickoff.
0: Think of the irony of this. What team does he go to? He goes to the Baltimore Ravens. Who's their head coach? Harbaugh. And what's his background? Special teams coach.
1: Maybe, <laughs> maybe he can fix them. <laughs> How good is that one? <laughs> How good coach, is that? Coach, I thought that. you told me to run the football. Oh, you wanted me to wait. Stop. Down it. Oh, my bad, Coach. My bad, Coach. Get yeah, those signals so. together. <laughs> and so, so you got... You got Ty that's gone, and then the funniest trade of all, haha ha Clinton Dix going to Washington. Clinton, I'm staying out of that. Clint, Clinton's back in Washington. <laughs> which, you know, from a from a from a team point of view, if I'm if I'm the defense and I say, Oh my god, we just traded ha ha Clinton Dix, am I pissed? Yeah. You know, we're we're in the mix of things. Their defense has been playing well. It's not like their defense is awful. And all of a sudden, the, you, you trade—you trade probably,
0: arguably, our best corner for a third rounder, something like that. I don't even know what they got I, I'll be honest with you—I'm not happy. I am completely not happy if anything like that took place, where they're trading a, a an asset on the team. Yeah. Well, it, well let's, let's face it: with
1: Green Bay, they're three and three with one tie, but Aaron Rodgers can get hot. And next, you know, they're going off on an eight-game winning streak, and they're right in the mix of everything in the NFC, besides the Rams, maybe. You know, the Rams are are on another uh, stratosphere. But you, you got a good spot to take the number two seed in the NFC, depending how things play out. And you trade your number one corner? I don't know what that uh, that message is. That's an awful message to send to your team. Uh, it's not like you got a first-round pick where you can turn back to the to to the leaders of the team and say, "Hey, we turned that into a first-round pick for next year." And, you know, we
0: we can get a really stud player in the first round. Uh, I thought see, it was a bad trade. See the Ty Montgomery, I get, I I, I can I can go with you on that one. I, I get it, right? You know they they have Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones as the running backs. They finally have a, a traditional running back back in place now for them. So I understand that. Um, and from a receiving perspective, right? You you still have your you know, Randall Cobb and, and Geronimo Allison. So I get that. Plus they have that St. That Brown kid who's the, been stepping up pretty good. Um, so you're really just looking at your special teams, right? Who's going to replace that? And you can always find somebody, you know, there's a receiver, there's a running back, there's a DB who, who can fill the punt and kick return. But when you start talking about a starter in your base defense, that that's that's the big question. Yeah. I mean, yeah, nothing, those are big shoes. There, there's nothing funny about trading.
1: Haha, <laughs> Clinton. Dick. I mean, there's just nothing funny about it. Sorry. You think Clay Matthews
0: is happy? Heck no, he's not. Dude, Heck think about Matthews. this. This is a first rounder. This, this, this is a first round pick. A first round talent. But, but
1: here, you trade him to the Redskins, who you're battling yes. possibly for a playoff spot. Yes. Now, I don't think they play head-to-head this season. And the Redskins, okay, they're in first place. Eagles, I don't think the Eagles are done. So they may catch them. And next thing you know, you're fighting with the Redskins for a a wild card spot if you can't win your division. So I I just don't like the trade for multiple reasons. And I I haven't heard anything from the Packers on why they made this trade. Uh, I didn't hear anything from Mike McCarthy or the GM of the Packers on on why why HaHa Clinton Dix in that trade.
0: Well, and, and you mentioned the Redskins battling the Eagles. So the Eagles also make a trade with another team in that same NFC North division with the Detroit Lions, and they get golden tape. This one this one is mind-boggling on two fronts, two fronts, right? So from where? Because the only – Well, one, the I Eagles, see, right? I see why the Lions did it. Do you? I don't. I don't know. I mean, well, unless
1: you can't sign okay. He's in the last year of his contract. Okay. So you're three and four. I'm
0: Matt Patricia. I'm going to trade a wide receiver that I, I can count on? But if I'm Matt Patricia and I realize that we're not catching the Vikings, we're not catching the Packers, we're not catching the Bears. I'm a first-year I head to- coach. I, I don't know. I, I
1: guess I look at it as a first-year head coach, and I, I'm trying to show the fan base that I can coach and I can win football games. So if the Lions go five and eleven, all right, and that Golden Tate turns out to be that trade turns out to be nothing, I right? go five. And 11. I'm not saying Golden Tate's gonna make you go eight and eight, but
0: for co- rookie coaches, uh, I-, I need. To but he's not even 11. their number one option, right? No. Marvin Jones Jr. is yeah. their number one option. Uh, I see. I look at I I look at that from the Lions' perspective. That 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 was a good move. Because what that did was that gave you collateral going into the draft next year. You, you got something. We always talk about it all the time, maybe in other sports, but we always talk about you have a guy who is going to be a free agent in the upcoming season. If you're not going anywhere, then yeah. get value yeah. if yeah. he's got value. Yeah, you're right. And, and, and actually, Patricia,
1: you know, as I sit here and, and analyze it even more, when you look at Patricia coming from the Patriots organization, what's the Patriot model? I'd rather trade a player a year too early than a year too late. Yep. And when you look at some of the big trades with Seymour and Chandler Jones, uh, I think Vrabel got traded at the end of his career, and they, they got some value back for him. And so they turned, that, they turned that defensive player, or whatever player they're trading, they turned that player into a draft pick yep. that by the time, mid-season of that following year, that draft pick is probably a starter, right? Because we always talk about the Patriots use the use the preseason to play the kids, in the first quarter of the season to figure out what their scheme's going to be for the season, yeah, right. And then those kids by midseason are are in as a starter. So and the Patriots really do have a good system, even though I hate them, they have a system that works. And I wonder if, if that's was the thinking with the Lions too. Kind of to your point, let's trade him. He's got value. We're not going to win this year anyway. We're not going to sign
0: them, get something for them, and and let's build this thing, you know, the following year. I'm I'm just surprised at the trade partner. Well, uh, yeah, su- that is bizarre. That bizarre. that one I don't get. I I really don't get that. Um, you, you look at all of the teams that could have used a wide receiver. And the Eagles, their need is running back. Uh, they don't need a wide receiver. I mean, certainly. You know, add, adding a a Pro Bowl wide receiver, a highly coveted wide receiver, I I give you that, right? He he's not the he's not in the top five of wide receivers that are out there, but he's still he's a very good wide receiver. So I will give you that. But your need was running back. Yeah, when I look at the injury report, I I don't show any wide receivers
1: on the injury report. So you can say, well, there's somebody that's banged up, maybe a, a nagging hamstring injury. We need to bring a wide receiver in to help us uh, while that player fights through it. So there's, there's nothing there that will indicate a, uh, a need for a wide receiver.
0: So it is a little, little mind-boggling there. I laugh when I look at their, their wide receivers, right, because obviously Alshon Jeffrey is their number one. Nelson Aguilar was supposed to be their number two, but now he, he's going to get pushed back, right? And then they have Jordan Matthews. And, again, as a Bills fan, I laugh at Jordan Matthews because the Bills traded Ronald Darby for Jordan Matthews. The Bills were not happy, and they didn't re-sign Jordan Matthews. And then Jordan Matthews promptly re-signed back with the Eagles, so he's back on there. But so now if if you look at their wide receivers, they have four legitimate wide receivers. So, but, you know, the running game is, at the end of the day, You know, when when you're playing in December, when you're playing in the playoffs, you have to have a running game. And I'm not going to bet on Corey Clement. I'm not going to bet on Darren Sproles. I I need to have a running back. And rumor had it that they were trying to get uh, Shady McCoy, but that never went down. So I I, I don't know. Maybe they got the best that they figured that they could get. They're just going to go four wide and, and just spread you out and let Carson Wentz go to work. Sounds like a game plan for them.
1: I don't know how it's going to
0: work, but we'll stay tuned for that. Talked about the Packers versus the Patriots. But the heavyweight fight for this week is going to be the Saints versus the Rams. I'm, I'm excited uh, about
1: this game. You want to talk about some points going to be scored in this game in the Dome. It's going to be perfect weather. It's going to be a track meet on both sides and scoring. Uh, it's going to be interesting how the, uh, the Saints – Line up against the Rams on you know from the uh, offensive side of the ball because that that Ram defense is is pretty darn good. So I'm curious to see what the Rams, what uh, Aaron Donald's going to bring to the table because he he's been a beast. Uh, he's coming off a huge game last week, so I'm curious to see how, how it's going to play out. They got Khalid Talib and they got Marcus Peters and they got Aaron Donald. How are they going to how are they going to handle Drew Brees?
0: Where I'm looking at it is going to be Todd Gurley. Because we talked about, and it's kind of funny, we were talking about on a previous podcast, we were talking about the Saints and their defense and how their defense has let Drew Brees down over the years. But if you look at the Saints this year, now granted, they're horrible against the pass, but against the run, they are the number one defense against the run in the NFL. And you're going up against arguably the midseason MVP of the NFL in Todd Gurley. So you, you have, you know, that brick wall, and, and can Gurley get through that brick wall?
1: Now, he he's
0: multifaceted.
1: That's what I am That's what I was just about to say. Why run him? Let open up with the pass. Hit him out of the backfield. You can still get him in the game plan without handing the ball off. Maybe open it up with, with a lot of passing. Loosen up that defense a little
0: bit. But if if you do that, doesn't that take away the play action? Because now I know that now I know you're put, you're playing pass. Do I do the Saints so then instead of going out of their base defense? Are they playing nickel? Well,
1: well then again, you audible out. You still have Todd Gurley in the backfield.
0: Maybe well, true, out,
1: right? You can. I I think it's it's going to be interesting. I I think Todd Gurley's not going to put up that 140 yard game against that defense. But I think his total yards from scrimmage will be right where it needs to be, and he'll probably have a lot more yards in the passing game, and that's how they'll offset that.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I'm curious. I, curious. I I, can't wait for the game, I'll be honest with you. I, I can't wait for the game because this, this is a very intriguing matchup because the Rams, first of all, the Rams are, are, are damn near close to clinching everything. <laughs> they are running away with the NFC. Uh, and a victory against the Saints will pretty much cement them as the the number one team and the team to beat in the NFC. Yeah. On the flip side, this is the the coming out game for the Saints. Not not that they haven't been playing well already. Or, you know they're already in our top five ranked teams. But if you could take down that juggernaut, you you're pretty much saying I am a player. Uh, you know, looking for that Super Bowl ring. I, I am in the conversation. So much that the Rams bring it right now, they seem to be just the absolute complete team, um, offensively and defensively. You know, they, they have it all together. I think the Saints can do it. I, I really do.
1: Well, and, and they're home in front of their fans, right? So I, I think the edge would go to the Saints because they're at home in front of the Houdat Nation out out there. I think that's a huge advantage for them. But on the flip side, for the Rams, they're probably looking at their chops too, saying we can we can disguise the crowd noise, but we get to play in a dome on turf and we can fly, right? Let your speed yeah. take over. So yeah. uh, it, it's going to be interesting. I, I I wonder how the Saint fans are going to come into play with false starts. Can they be loud enough? Can they get Jared
0: Goff and company off their game a little bit? Um, now. <laughs> No disrespect to him, I'm just not a Jared Goff fan yet. Yet. He, he's got all the weapons in the world. I don't think anybody, even Nathan Peterman couldn't be that bad with, with all those weapons that he has. You look at, the, from a receiving standpoint, you know, they, they added Brandon Cooks this year. You got Robert Woods and you have Cooper Cup. Hey, you, you got studs there. You know, hey, Cooper Cup is just ever-emerging. And, of course, we talked about Gurley. And then think about it. We were talking about all the trades that went down. We we didn't mention the fact that they they traded for Dante Fowler Jr. Now, he, he underachieved a little bit coming off of injury and, and, you know, had some some issues, which a lot of people have issues with Doug Marone uh, in Jacksonville. But now it just strengthens that defense. Hey, this, this is a team that had – you mentioned Aaron Donald, and then they signed – in Damakatsu, right? So now, now your 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 front is set, and then they move Mark Barron from from defensive back to play linebacker. He's doing well. They had Corey Littleton, and now you have Dante Fowler Jr. Yeah. The rich get richer. They they did yeah. it, it. This is, I I really can't wait for this game. I I really can't. This gives you everything that you hope for. Two two dynamic offenses, one. Dynamic defense and one defense that's playing well on against the run, and then and then it's at at home in the dome. I just right. this so is gonna be
1: great. I I gotta ask you a question because I don't know the rule on this, but so the Chiefs and Bengals got flexed to Sunday Night Football a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So do they not flex for Monday Night Football? So you you have two juggernauts that you want in prime time. This is the game of the week right here, and you got them playing at. At 4:25 4, Eastern, and you got the Titans Cowboys on Monday Night Football. Let's the, 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 the sink in there. You got the Titans at the Cowboys Monday Night Football. You got a great Sunday Night matchup game with the Packers and Patriots in primetime. You got the Rams and Saints hanging out there. They can't be flexed to
0: Monday Night Football. But do you do you want to flex that game? Which four o'clock is a prime slot? Don't don't forget four o'clock is a prime slot. Do you want to flex from that four o'clock game to a Monday night game on ESPN that is losing in the ratings department? If you were gonna flex a game, you would flex it to Sunday night at eight o'clock. That's the flex, but they're not gonna flex out the Packers in the in the Patriots.
1: No, that's a good point. I, you know, I, I stopped to, I, I I didn't stop to think about how bad Monday Night Football announcing is. Uh, I I didn't stop to think about that one. I honestly the four thirty game for me prime time. Uh, I'm not I'm not big on that um, as far as the four thirty game. I was never a huge fan of the four thirty games or the four o'clock games, however you want to put it. But that Monday Night Football, you forget how bad the announcing is and you're right would you want to flex them to monday night with those with those announcers
0: right Well, well first of all it's monday it's not the monday night that we grew up with sure right the monday night on abc this is the monday night on espn so instantly you've cut your markets down it's it's a lot better than it used to be back in the day when you had to look at the number of households that didn't have cable now espn is standard but still you're going to a cable channel, going to a, you know a separate channel, and and then you're right with the announcers. Oh, I you didn't know even think
1: not... of it. I didn't even think of it from a cable perspective. I just thought it from an announcing standpoint. It's bad. It's it awful. is bad. It's, but... it's brutal, brutal. I'm sorry, Jason. I don't even know the name of the other guy. And I, I, I think it is an Italian guy. Joe Testitone. Yeah,
0: and I, 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 and I'm Italian. And believe me, we I don't, don't get those... I like. I like Booger McFarland. I think the insight that Booger McFarlane provides is just out of sight. Oh, I like Booger, too. But get him off of that scissor machine that is traveling up yeah. and down the sidelines. Think about that. That pay- is the dumbest thing in the world.
1: I pay $200 to sit at the goal line, maybe $300 <laughs> to sit on the goal line, and there's four plays at the goal line that I can't see, but ESPN was kind enough to give me a TV on the back of the seat for Booger McFarlane. <laughs> You gotta explain that one to me. How the NFL is allowing this, and that why there's not more uproar by the season ticket holders that are paying very good money to sit down below and they're stuck watching the TV behind Booger. Uh, it, it's odd. But my Italian dying. It's in the booth. He's bad. We finally got a shot.
0: The Italians finally <laughs> got a shot in the
1: booth. And this is what we go with.
0: Oh my lord. Oh, I yeah. That 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 combination is. I mean, Witten, yeah, okay, so Romo did it, and he, he's okay. I, 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 Romo has kind of worn off on me a little bit, right? It was kind of cool to hear Romo call in advance what a team was going to do. He's like, oh, look at how they're lined up there. You see the safety cheating up. Okay, so what's going to happen? Next thing you know, exactly what he said was going to happen happened. That was, that was really cool. But I'm kind of over that. I, I'm never a Nance fan. But just because Romo had that early success does not mean Jason Witten's going to have success. Yeah, you know, and we talk about the
1: announcers. I, I just just follow me through this here. It's week six. It's 1986. and you have the Giants versus the Redskins. John Madden, Pat Summerall, calling the game. Yeah, I mean, is that not Nirvana right there? I mean. Growing up as a Jets fan, the Jets very rarely played on Fox. And very were rarely good enough to get when they, not Fox, but back then it was CBS, I believe that was the NFC yep. channel. I grew up watching yep, the yep. F C on NBC. And I remember as a kid, and I'm saying to myself, God, why can't the Jets be good enough to be on CBS on the road and be good enough to get Summerall and Madden? Because I always wanted to hear him talk about the Jet team in that fashion, because they had the old Madden team, and no Jets ever made the old Madden team, right? You all hoping at the end of the year. Hold on, no AFC
0: players made the old Madden <laughs> team,
1: <laughs> but 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 that was the gold standard when we were kids in the '80s. Was Madden and Summerall, and, and they were fantastic, and and yeah. and now we look at where we are. We're talking about CBS's number one team in Tony Romo and Jim Nance, and they're not good, and the NFC in Fox. We got Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. Not a Joe Buck guy.
0: Aikman is good. As much as I don't like the Cowboys and I wasn't an Aikman fan, Aikman is good. I mean, Sunday Night Football is is now
1: the gold standard, right? But I'm not a Chris Uh, Collinsworth guy. But I'm not a Collinsworth guy. And I'm not a huge Al Michaels guy. But Al Michaels, I know where you're going with this, with Al Michaels. But... Al Michaels, when you think about announcers <laughs> today, okay, announcers today, what Al Michaels has called in his career, right, he is the probably considered the number one announcer. Now, I'm going to give you your, your your two minutes to go because I know where you're going. No, with. I know. Go ahead. I, I, would, you I like to, would, you,
0: would you like me to bring it up? I'm going no, to bring it up. Now you got me fired up. All yeah, right. buddy. It, it now away. you got me fired up. First of all, Al Michaels is a joke. Al Michaels' career is predicated upon the 1980 Olympics and him having the luck to get the draw to call the U.S. versus Russia. Hater, hater. Just luck, right? And his his catchphrase that has lasted a lifetime now, do you believe in miracles? Yes. Are, are you kidding me? Al Michaels is That's garbage. Gold. He's a, he's, a, he's a Southern, he's a Southern California homer. That's what he is. And then if he's not a Southern California homer, all he is is a bandwagoner. He doesn't even follow the teams or know the teams. Let alone, if you're going to call something, know the players and know what's going on. He is an absolute joke. So then he wants to talk about the top offenses in history. In history. Well, let me tell you something there, Al Michaels. As you sit there and start going over the top offenses, you want to put Air Coryell. Yes, the Chargers had a great offense back in the late 70s and early 80s. That's when they were throwing the ball around. But guess what? They were only throwing for 250, 260 yards. Yes, they had Hall of Fame players like a Kellen Winslow and a Dan Fouts who's barely making it. Are you kidding me? But yet the team, you want to name every other team except for the team that has six Hall of Famers and a guy that got his jersey retired this past weekend? Are you kidding me? You you want to forget about Jim Kelly. You want to forget about Thurman Thomas. You want to forget about Andre Reid and Don Beebe and a and a line that just, I mean, I had tight ends at Pete Metzler and Keith McKellar. You had an offensive line with Harold Ballard, Ken Hall, Jim Richard. You got all these Hall of Famers in there, guys that reinvented the way that the game is being played today. The no huddle—they took what the Cincinnati Bengals were doing with a no huddle and took it to a whole nother level. They took the fast pace, and they want to say the Rams did it. No, the Rams didn't do it. The Rams copied what the Bills were doing in the early in the late late eighties and early nineties. And they took that with their Isaac Bruce and Marshall Falk. It was Thurman Thomas and Jim Kelly. So if you want to talk about the top offenses in the history of the NFL, get your facts straight. Know your history. And don't sit there spouting off about stuff you don't know.
1: Wow, that's pretty good.
0: Does that feel good to get it off your chest? No. I feel like calling up NBC right now. Put me through the L. Good. <laughs>
1: Well, that that that's a lot being said there on, and I can't agree with you more uh, about the bills and, and, and that overlook that that was a major overlook, um, and I'm surprised Collinsworth, being an AFC guy, didn't cut in and mention Buffalo um, in, in that, because for to mention not to mention Buffalo in, in that was an outrageous um, oversight by Al Michaels.
0: Well, and he, here, here's the miscarriage of it. You you have generations now that that are coming up following the game, and they don't know much of the Dan Marinos. They don't know much of the John Elways. They don't know much of the Jim Kellys. They don't know much of the Barry Sanders, right? They, they know these, these new guys. That That's who they know. And also, the way that sports is... The, the way that the kids are growing up today, they're not growing up with the baseball cards like we did. They're not following the stats like we did. They follow fantasy football, right? But they just look at current, present-day stats. They don't sit there and say, I'll trade you this guy, but, well, no, I can't get this guy right. You knew all the stats that a guy had. And so it's up to those that are calling the game, that have, have been around the game for years and years, they have a responsibility to kind of be a teacher, to reiterate to those who know, but to also kind of bring some of that history to those that don't know. And when your history is biased, and what I mean by biased, you're bringing up teams, and you're talking about teams either that you liked or that are good today, right? Dan Marino was a flat-out stud. I was afraid every time that we had to play the Dolphins. I wasn't afraid of the rest of the players he had, but I knew that Marino could do things that no other quarterback could do out there. They don't give Dan the same due that that he really deserves today. Well, true legend. F him. Now oh, fake spike just play. fake spike. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> hi hey,
1: I'm Dan Marino so Dan uh, let me ask you what was uh, the most famous play in your NFL career that you remember well that's a great question I really appreciate you asking that question well uh, it's got to be let me go back uh, to that play in the Meadowlands in 94 um, yeah the, the fake spike game uh, that yeah that that game that we were down late in the fourth quarter and we had that great comeback and really that fake spike. Really, Dan Marino? Really? The fake spike? Of all the players you played in the NFL, freaking NFL. Really? You are playing the freaking <laughs> Super Bowl. You are playing the Super Bowl. You don't talk about that? Oh, you talking about the fake spike game. I'm glad your career I'm big... glad your career ended in Jacksonville getting your butt kicked. Okay. <laughs>
0: but think about but it, I got nobody no hate is... for Dan. I got no hate for Dan. Nobody's done it since then. Nobody did it before, and nobody's done it since. No, because I mean, we're it's, all, it's,
1: it's like the butt fumble. Instance. You think the butt fumble's ever going to happen again? No, the Jets coined that one. We got the butt fumble and the fake spike. We we're in football oh. war. Oh, great.
0: <laughs> oh, that's great.
1: <laughs> pain, the pain that I go through? See, your pain is about a, a, a sports announcer not mention you uh, on Sunday Night Football. My pain is real, okay? I have real pain here. I get embarrassed on a fake spike. You know that day. I'll never forget that day. You know why? <laughs> you laugh, go ahead and laugh. We Okay, hold on, here. We were we were six and four going into that game. Okay? We win that game with seven and four. We got the division in lockdown. Seven and four. Seven and four. Do you even know who the head coach with the Jets were that, that year?
0: Was it Rich Cote?
1: Nope. It was Pete Carroll. Okay. Pete Carroll is the coach. His only year with the Jets. We lose that game. We go to six and five. We lost every game the rest of the season. We couldn't get out of our own chair. It was like me. I'll never forget. It. I was working at a department store called Caldor. G- give me a second here. Will you? Just let me let me go down memory lane here. And, all right, so I worked for a department store. So I'm originally from New York, Long Island, New York. So there was a, a shopping uh, for people on on the East Coast. It was a Caldor. It was like a Kmart, Walmart, whatever. And I remember my boss tells me, "Hey." You're going to, I worked in the electronics department. Hey, you're going to come to work on Sunday, right? And I said, no, 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 the jet game's on. i got to watch the jet game, but I'll be in after. Is that okay? My dad knew the store owner, so, you know, I can really make up my own hours. So, so I watch the jet game. I am at a loss right now. I'm driving to work. I don't even know what day it is, what time it is, because I can't believe what I just saw. <laughs> I go to work. I'm walking down. People are asking me, hey, where where can I find this Walkman? Uh, what? What? I mean, I, I literally was in another planet. I'm walking into, you know how they have those little things in the aisle where, like, especially in the supermarkets, they have, like, these cardboard cutouts, and they, they got stuff in these little cardboard cutouts in the middle of the aisle, right?
0: Yeah, the Amarito cutout?
1: No! Oh, <laughs> I'm walking into these things, okay? That's how much that jacked me up that day. I mean, I was a mess. I was a mess for four days. You couldn't talk to me. Come home from work. Hey, how was work today? I don't want to talk about it. Wow, what's up with him? It, it was just mind-blowing. And then for this jerk to come out all these years later and tell me that's the game he remembers? Really? Come on, Dan. But I'll tell you, I wish I had him as my quarterback. That yeah, I will say. There you go. Well, I mean, you'll love to hate the guy because you wish you had him. All right, The guy was magical. He really was. I mean, he really was a magical I, I, quarterback. I, I was good with my guy. Yeah, but Jim, well, when he finally wanted to come to Buffalo. Yeah, I've seen the fu- I've seen the videos. I've seen the interviews. Heck, I watched his football life the other day. He even talked about it. Man, I didn't want to go to Buffalo.
0: He sure didn't. But I'll tell you one thing.
1: That Jim Kelly, he's one, one tough SOB. He
0: is. He is. And, and when they say stand up to cancer in the fight, he is leading that charge. Yeah. I, I, I feel bad, but, you know, in a way you can't feel bad because he, he is taking it on. And he is somebody that people who, just a nasty, nasty disease, and people that have that can look to him as inspiration. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, more power to him. Yeah. It, it, it was great to see. Um, and, again, th- this isn't, I know it wasn't a slight against Buffalo, but it, poor coverage by, by the networks. So the, during halftime of the Patriot-Bills game, Buffalo retired Thurman Thomas's number, retired his jersey, and they had a ceremony. And you know, of course, ESPN wants to um, go to SVP, who I love SVP, and they could they could cut away to him for for updates. But then they want to do some concert of Bush out at at Niagara Falls. Really, do we do we need to see that when you have a ceremony of a Hall of Famer getting his jersey retired? And it's not just Buffalo; they do that for everybody. I, as, as a football fan or as a sports fan, would much rather hear the speech of a Hall of Famer who's getting his jersey retired than to hear some band play two minutes of something that, you know, you could download on iTunes or, or listen to anything streaming. I, I agree. I totally agree. Even if not a fan of that team,
1: to give me the um, two-minute rundown of all the scores during the game, I can care less. you got 16 games a year, 17 games a year, 17 weeks altogether – how many times you go through something like that during the course of the season? The the man, what Thurman Thomas has meant to the NFL, what he's meant to running backs, what he meant to fan bases, good and bad. I yeah. can stand Thurman Thomas, respected the heck out of him. He killed the Jets. But that was something I wanted to see. I wanted to see his speech. I wanted to yeah. see what he had to say. I wanted to hear the outpouring of love that, his, that the fan base gave back to Thurman Thomas. Personally speaking, it was... Uh, it's taken too long to do it, to be quite honest, by Buffalo, <laughs> and that Oh God, here we go.
0: All you right, folks, I'm, I'm gonna. No, I, I don't. I don't see anything. Uh, I
1: don't, don't see, see anything. No. Oh, the autograph. MVP. Yeah. MVP. This is
0: MVP Thurman Thomas. MVP of the Super Bowl. <clears throat> yeah, I won. Yes, again, MVP. the sports writers screwing it up. I did want to tell you one thing though, because we were talking about Jim Kelly and. It was so good to see Jim out there because, you know, for that ceremony, uh, it was, you know, not only Thurman, of course, and Chris Berman was there as the MC, uh, who I think is really a, a Closet Bills fan. Oh, he's so um, is. Oh, he's so is. <laughs> Nobody circled the wagons. And, and he was all part of the promos and stuff. But you had Thurman and you had Kelly and you had Smith. And, you know, just to see Jim with the guys, you know, he, he – as he continues to just battle and overcome. It, it was awesome. It really was awesome. And, you know, everybody should use him as an inspiration, even if you don't have cancer or you have – if you're going through a struggle in your life. The positive message that, that he's telling you, and, and, you know, it's just it's just great. It really is. Yeah, yeah. With unfortunately – Yeah, I think I know where you're going. Yeah, unfortunately – uh, on the on the other side of it, we we lost somebody, a giant, uh, literally, true, true. Stretch, we we, we lost Willie McCovey, Girl and Stretch. You know, I know we're changing sports, but you know, it's sports are kind of synonymous when you talk about the greats, right? Um, they they all lace them up and they just give it their all and are able to succeed and persevere through through everything. And, and when you look at the career of Willie McCovey, you know, what, he played for 20, 21 years? 20, 22, tw- 22 years. 22 years. And just every, everything that he meant, you know, I, I know him as as a San Francisco Giant, that that's what I know him as, and of course he basically played his whole career there. But you know he played with other teams later on. But just you know he was baseball. You know there there's just a few guys out there that you can really just say when you say the sport and you say that player, they they epitomize that sport. And, and I'm so sorry to see him go. But they said he went peacefully. He was battling a lot of different diseases, and you know they you know he or illnesses, and, and he went peacefully, and that that's all you can ask for, but, you know, just, it's so sad to see somebody like that, you know, go.
1: You know, um, in my personal life with my wife and son, we, we travel every year to different stadiums, and part of my, uh, our, our vacations here, my son plays travel baseball, and, and we're a baseball family, and so we travel, and we had the opportunity to go to San Francisco and see that field, and, to be there at the statue, uh, McCovey Cove, and see it—it it is majestic. Um, if you're a baseball fan, it is pretty cool to see all that. And and so knowing, I had a little bit of a personal connection because I've actually been to that ballpark, and, and to to be walk right down that sideways where McCovey Cove, and actually look out into the water where McCovey Cove is, where you see all those kayaks out there, you know, mm-hmm. catching the balls, and knowing that's named after him, and then seeing the statue. Um, as a kid, he he stopped playing when I was young, about mm-hmm. five years old. By the time he stopped playing, but as a young young fan of the game, you always there was a lot of references back to Stretch. That was his nickname, Stretch, being six foot four, um, first baseman. He was one of the big giants playing playing first base in, in the game. So you always heard the stories of Willie McCovey and how great of a ball player he was, but how great of a man he was and a teammate he was to all his teammates. But what's Really astonishing when you think about that. So he had a 22-year career. Most people don't realize when he retired from the game, he was the eighth. He was in eighth place of the all-time home runs. Eighth place when he retired at 521 home runs. I mean that's inc- that's an incredible career. Um, to know that you finished eighth when you finished your career, that, that, it's it's astonishing when you think of the history of the game. He was eighth all time when he retired. Um, Just said, sad, sad to see him go. Um, So it it was a rough night. It was a rough night when I heard that news.
0: You can check out all of our podcasts and and check out the content that we have on our site, officialwordsports.com. And Steve, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Going back and forth. And hopefully, coming up in the future, we have potentially some guests that are lined up there come on and they will they will join the guy sitting at the corner of the bar talking sports so once again this is vince it's steve and you've been listening to another podcast from official word sports